The Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast is sponsored by Beer Edge. I'm Andy Crouch, the co-founder of Beer Edge, along with my partner and your podcast host, John Hall. John and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at andy at beeredge.com with your thoughts. And as always, thanks for your support. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and this week, I'm very pleased to share with you an interview I recently did with Garrett Oliver about his efforts to launch the Michael Jackson Foundation for Brewing and Distilling. And I'm also happy to tell you that this episode is produced by Beer Edge. Check out BeerEdge.com for articles, podcasts, and to subscribe to the newsletter written by myself and Andy Crouch. And also be sure to follow Beer Edge on social media at The Beer Edge. And please take a moment to review the show on your podcast platform of choice. Most people know Garrett Oliver as the globe-trotting brewmaster of the Brooklyn Brewery, but he's also an accomplished author, educator, and thought leader in the brewing space. His latest project is one that we can all get behind and support. It's a foundation named after the late Michael Jackson, the writer. Its mission is funding technical education and career advancement for black, indigenous, and people of color in the brewing and distilling industries. This interview was originally recorded for an article I was working on for Wine Enthusiast magazine, but there's so much more in here that couldn't make it onto the page that we're sharing a slightly edited version of the conversation with you today. My thanks to the magazine for allowing me to air this. The conversation was recorded in mid-July, before the fund's website, located at themjf.org, went live. But you can go there and find the Donate tab. You might hear me reference the upcoming article, which has since been released, and you can find that at winemag.com. Garrett spoke to me from Brooklyn, and I started off by asking him how the idea for the foundation came about. Here's the conversation. Yeah, this was this started off... Um, as you know, 20 years ago, I'll go back. Um, there was uh, a fund started uh, called the Michael Jackson Fund, um, and it was for you know brewing and distilling scholarships, and it was under the American Institute of Wine and Food, you know AIWF. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember them. No, um, you're probably a little young for it. They were in the 90s. They were a pretty well-known organization. They didn't really do awards and stuff the way the Beard House does, but they did huge events like down at the, you know, at the uh, seaport in Manhattan when the seaport was really a going concern. You know, they were down there doing big beer and food events and were the first of the big organizations uh, to really pay any attention to beer. And so they did a lot of good stuff and they established this Michael Jackson fund. Um, I didn't have that much to do with it, but, you know, of course, Michael was one of my best friends. Yeah. And and then later, after Michael had passed in 2014, uh, you know, Tom Potter, who was one of the founders of Brooklyn Brewery, also founder of New York Distilling Company. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, he had been running the AIWF 
And he said, we'd like to raise some more money for this fund. And we had fundraiser. And at the fundraiser, uh, Nancy Johnson from GABF was nice enough to send out the, the banner of Michael that hangs above the floor, the enormous one that hangs above the floor at GABF. Yeah. And we had a bunch of people in. I was and, there that night. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. And so that was great. You know, it was a relatively smallish affair, but it was, you know, it was fun, et cetera. Cut to last year. And Tom comes back to me and he says, you know, we never really got a chance to do anything with that fund. It's been sitting there moribund for five, six years. It's got $30,000 in an account. And really, AIWF is done. And I want to wrap it up and close all our books. So can you help me basically disperse these funds, you know, uh, sit with me and we'll give away these scholarships. And he said, well, maybe we'll just put it through a cooking school. You know, you're working with some people and. We'll, you know, we'll give it away that way. We'll be able to make five, six, seven scholarships and, you know, I'll be done with this thing. And what I said to him was, I'd be very happy to help you, um, but only if these scholarships are aimed predominantly in the direction of people of color. And, you know, at first, I don't think Tom quite understood how serious I was about that stipulation. But eventually I said, like, you know, if if that is not part of what we're doing, then I'm not going to be involved. You know, um, that's my that's my price. And so, you know, he came around to my way of thinking. We started working <laughs> on it. Um, and in there, I was saying to myself, this is like October, November. I'm saying to myself, you know, this thing doesn't have to stop after five or six uh, uh, scholarships. It could be a foundation. But at the time, I was traveling 10, 12, you know, overseas trips a year. I'm constantly on the road. Things are very busy at the brewery. There's no time to think. And, you know, I was unable to focus uh, on it, even though we had discussed it. Well, obviously, suddenly we all got a lot more time to think, much more than we ever wanted. Um, and then the social movement came along. And I just realized that, you know, rather than taking the next six, eight months to put this thing together, while people's attention was concentrated on social justice issues, this was, you know, a good time to uh, uh, to launch this as an initiative. I mean, it's it's a very difficult time to do it and to do it this quickly. But I think that we've seen in the past, despite everyone's good intentions, that momentum is eventually lost things eventually leave the news cycle and yeah. then we end up back where we were. And, you know, I'm motivated by a couple of things. One was the, uh, having attended last year in Pittsburgh, uh, fresh fest, which, uh, you may have heard of. Yes. Um, and so I have to admit that at first, the first year when they got in touch with me about fresh fest and they told me this is an African-American run beer festival. I didn't really quite understand it. You know, I came out of the 60s and 70s. And to me, this sounded like a segregated beer festival, kind of a festival for black people. You know, and I'm saying to myself, well, what's wrong with the regular festivals? You know, it's like, I don't feel like they're unwelcoming. Uh, people are friendly. Why don't we just go to those, you know, the way that I have? Um, and so, you know, I didn't go. They asked me again last year, and 
by that time, my pinky had moved along because, frankly, in 30 years of sitting in the chair running breweries, I have not had a single African-American applicant for a brewing job ever. Is that true? Yes, that is true. Jesus. Not one. I have sent Iraqis to brewing school. I have sent Gambians to brewing school. I've had, you know, people from Haiti, Afghanistan, all sorts of people working for Brooklyn Brewery. And I'm proud of that. You know, we've helped people stand for their citizenship. But I've never had a single African-American applicant. And so my my previous outlook on this was that, well, you know, they there were not enough African-Americans who were interested. And then you start paying more attention, you know, to the overall background of things. And I kind of came to realize that, you know, I was I had become blind to not blind to the situation and, and plight, you know, of of people of color in, in, in the United States, but specifically within the brewing industry, which I think of as being very open, et cetera. And it is to an extent. However, you know, the fact is that we live in a really segregated, segregated country. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you talk to your average, perfectly nice liberal, you know, white person, he has precisely 1.2 black friends, you know, and like, we don't mix very much. We don't mix in restaurants. We don't mix in bars. Um, I was listening to the Sporkful podcast, you know, uh, last night where they were talking about what they call the 60-40 rule, which a lot of restaurateurs say, well, like once your restaurant becomes 40% black patrons, it's then a black restaurant and all the white people run away. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of background darkness, you know, to, the American psyche that we don't really face. And the fact of the matter is we hire people who show up in front of us and, you know, who shows up in front of us is influenced by, you know, how comfortable they feel showing up, what they've been exposed to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And African-Americans have never been in any way invited into beer and brewing you know, we we were not really in the business of inviting anybody. We just say, here's our tent. Everybody come. But it doesn't actually work that way. Um, you know, for a lot of people in, in real life and emotionally, um, you know, I, through my background, was given a lot of tools that allow me to comfortably walk into any room, regardless of it, and feel like I belong there. You know, that's not most people. It's not most people of any background and it certainly isn't most african-american people so i wanted to do something that would give people a leg up um to make up for these disparities and really i mean the same sort of thing that we've done for people from other countries where they may be working for our brewery for a couple of years and we say okay you're doing great you're very smart you're hardworking, but you have no formal training you know on the bottling line we taught you the bottling line but you don't know anything really about the background of everything about how this works. So let's send you to the Master Brewers Association Packaging School course for like four weeks. And you come back, you'll have a certificate and something of a formal grounding in how this entire thing fits together. And you get back a different person who is more employable, not just for you, but for their own career and who has more confidence and in whom you can have more confidence 
you know, as an employer. And so that in of itself is, you know, uh, a type of pure good. And I have said to myself and also to officials, whether it is at BA or it is at uh, uh, camera in the UK, why, why are people not doing training? Mm-hmm. I've been running conferences, technical conferences in Sweden and in Norway for years. You know, I mean, serious CBC style conferences with really great speakers, um, stuff that these brewers could not possibly learn anyplace else. You know, bringing in, uh, uh, um, you know, Avery Swanson, uh, Avery from uh, uh, when she was at uh, Jester King, King yeah. and uh, and the folks from Wild Beer Company coming to show people, okay, that, talk to them about indigenous and wild fermentation. This is stuff that they weren't otherwise going to get. I've dedicated myself to educating people in other countries and in our country and nobody who looks like me you know, basically almost ever in front of me. And, you know, there's a problem there, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, from my point of view, I have to face the fact that, you know, in not doing anything specific to try to solve the problem, you therefore become part of the problem, you know, because the status quo is fine for you. You've done well. And, you know, now you're sitting in your perch and, you know, you're comfortable. Well, you know, a lot of people are not comfortable and no one's offering them any opportunities. How many people have I hired from American Brewers Guild? It's a great school. Mm -hmm. That's why we hire those people. But I mean, that education is $12,000 right? in $9,000. And so, you know, that's that's expensive. And then on top of that, you know, not only do you have a a situation where African-Americans on average, have one-tenth um, the family assets of white Americans. So that's going to affect, can you pay $10,000 for this course? And then you have to know the right people who are going to give you letters of recommendation. Like, well, who do you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so all this comes into play. And it's and also so in Vermont. Vermont. Yes. And that in and of itself, for some people, can present a challenge. If you're Say you're from the inner city and you've never been to a place like Vermont, you know, you might actually show up and and not be very happy. Mm-hmm. And so I know, you know, uh, and if you reverse all that, you know, you say, well, that's ridiculous. People are awfully nice. It's like, OK, we'll turn it around and imagine yourself as a uh, as a white American walking into a school or whatever else where 98 percent of everybody was black. Sure you know, or a town or whatever else you like to think you'd be comfortable, but you know, there's a, there, there's the background radiation of America that you can't quite make go away, you know, no matter how nice you are. Um, and I think that it, uh, you know, the, the solution requires being honest, um, you know, about where we are and like doing something to address it. So I think there are many ways to do that and that many people have started to do things and that my thing is just a part of it. Um, it's it's one way, you know, of uh, you know of of doing this. And I'm specifically addressing technical education for brewers and distillers. So we're not paying for cicerone courses or things like that, even though we respect them and think that they're great. 
Yeah. You know, we're going to focus on a few things that we're going to try to do really well. We're going to provide mentorship. Uh, each scholarship comes with a mentor, you know, a person of color within the industry who's several years ahead of them. And so that they have somebody to talk to. If that relationship for some reason doesn't work, we find you another one. But you don't end up out there like, uh, oh, here's a course, uh, sink or swim. Good luck. Yeah. You know, see you, see you around sometime. You know, we, we, we see you through, you know, so, is the idea. So, yeah. And, and it almost sounds like so rather than Cicerone and some of those, this is more like teacher man to fish kind of thing. Yes. You know, and uh, yes, exactly so. And so we'll start off probably with people who are already in the industry and have one foot in. There are a lot of people who may have gone from being a dishwasher to being a brewer, mm-hmm. um, but are doing the work by rote and don't actually understand necessarily the science and everything else behind it because nobody ever taught them. Yeah. Um, and they may not have access to the books. Um, and so if they're willing and they're going to apply themselves and their employer says, yeah, these, you know, this is a hardworking person and we'd love to see him get this opportunity. Um, we want to be able to back that up. And I think that that is a thing that, uh, that, that craft brewing believes that it's good at, but has not been good at so far. And so I think that to a certain extent through this program, both the customers and the industry can become the kind of industry they always thought they were and that they have acted like they were in public, but perhaps have not actually been. So just to go back and just so so I'm clear on this. So the initial 30 grand uh, from the old organization has. Yes. Was that is now seed money for the new one. Okay, And then do you have fundraising goal numbers in mind? Like what you'd like to. uh, Yeah. On the public campaign. um, And there's really two parts of it. You know, there's the public campaign, which at least at first is going to go largely through, you know, uh, GoFundMe. Yeah. You know, it should be uh, live within days. Um, the public campaign has a you know a goal of uh, of two hundred thousand dollars. You know, which is actually relatively low. You know, if you look at uh, you know say an ABG education as ten thousand dollars, you know two hundred thousand dollars is actually only twenty people. Yeah. Um, so it's not that much. Uh, what I am hopeful of is that we are going to see you know uptake from. Uh, you know, from individuals of means, from uh, from breweries, from distilleries, and that people will eventually stand this thing up into something that can send, you know, say 20 people to brewing and distilling school every year, mm-hmm. um, you know, or more, you know, if we have that many applicants, you know, and there will be a built out full board and there will be a board process. And I've done that kind of work before, you know, for slow food and right now for the Museum of Food and Drink, so I'm quite familiar with how that kind of stuff runs. Sure. And, uh, you know, my my term as board chair will be five years, after which I will step down and will not be doing it again. Okay. Um, and so what that means is that there will be a succession to a presumably younger person, you know, who, you know, has put themselves into the work and can carry that thing forward uh, without having some old dude in their way, um, you know, trying to sort of, you know, hog a spotlight or whatever else. My, my utility here 
is in the fact that I'm sitting in this chair where I can get people to look at me for a minute. The naming it after Jackson, um, was that just because this is a continuation of the old program? I mean, did you think about? No, I thought, I mean, you know, I think that it is a shame that so many younger brewers don't even know, you know, who Michael was. Yeah. Um, he pretty much invented the kind of universe that we're all living in, uh, you know, when it comes to like beer styles, et cetera, et cetera. They don't know who he was. They haven't read his books, which despite their age are still beautiful and relevant. And as a result of that, they can never really fully feel the depth of the culture that we're engaged in. I don't mean all the younger people, but I mean, there's a lot of them. Yeah. And I think that the kind of thing that, that you were talking about, where you have you know, your bottles and cans exploding or whatever else, is a symptom of not having sufficient self-respect. Um, and that self-respect really comes from being part of uh, a great tradition. You know, I mean, this is not, to me, brewing is not like a job. Like we're, it's a calling. You know, this is a great, you know, you should be embarrassed to bring shame to this great tradition. Yeah. And I think that if you read Jackson's books, you know, I mean, he makes you feel it. And I think that, uh, you know, that was his part, you know, in the culture. He was also, I mean, about as anti as actively anti-racist a person as you could imagine in his early days he worked for radical publications and believe me in 1991 92 when i was first judging the great british beer festival and in walks this young black guy from queens and they're like well he's going to be you know sitting at the final table with us to choose champion beer of britain there were definitely some people there who were like who the hell is that and what the hell is he doing here they'd never seen like any black people in those back rooms at all. And there's all kinds of whispers and whatever else. And, and Michael told everybody, like, this is the guy. You know, he knows more about your beer than you do, you know, and you, you do well to pay attention to it. And, like, Michael just stood them down. You know, he wasn't having any of it. Him, Roger Protz, and one or two other people. But Michael was adamant. And I wouldn't be here, at least not, you know, as this guy, as the Garrett Oliver, um, you know, without Michael. And so I think that, you know, the same way that, um, not that I'm putting myself in the shoes of Tony Bennett, but when Tony Bennett started a music school, he called it the Frank Sinatra school. Okay. You know, he didn't call it the Tony Bennett school of music. Yeah. You know, because he knew that, uh, you know, that, that in the end, Frank Sinatra was more important, <laughs> you know, and had done more in this area and that area. And was something to for people to look back on and inspire and be inspired by, and you know he wanted to get himself out of the way, and let people be inspired by you know where, you know that particular part of the culture, part of where it comes you know of it comes from. You know, and whenever you heard, you know uh, Tony Bennett talk, he was always talking about Louis Armstrong. Yeah. It was either Louis Armstrong or Frank Sinatra as the people that he really looked up to. Um, but then under that umbrella, the two actual scholarships are then, are then named for people of color. 
And people have been fascinated by the story of uh, uh, Sir Jeff Palmer, mm-hmm. who uh, I met uh, when I was um, uh, doing the emceeing the Scottish Brewing Awards a few years ago. And everybody's like, have you met Jeff? Have you met Jeff? Have you met Jeff? And I never I didn't know who he was. And I meet this guy and he's like Yoda. And everybody, everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. And he's the most accomplished, you know, brewer in uh, in many ways in in the UK and also a tireless civil rights activist, you know, for the last 40 years. So I recently had a Zoom call, you know, with him for two hours that started at nine o'clock in you know, in Scotland and mind you, he's 80. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he gave me so many ideas and ways to think about how to do this stuff and whatever else. I mean, just so, um, you know, so wise as a mentor to me and doing this thing and just maybe realize it's like, okay, you might think that you're clever, but it's like, I'm 58 or I'll be 58 next week. And he's 80 and then I can advise, you know, somebody who's in their 30s, who can advise somebody who's in their 20s or, you know, whatever. But, you know, setting something up where you give people tools and then you give them somebody to work with who's closer to their own experience than I'm going to be. Yeah. I mean, if you want to ask me, Garrett, how to get into the brewing industry, like, how the hell should I know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I'll give you some, you know, some pretty good but fairly standard pad advice about like, Hey, you should, you know, try to do this and try to do that and think about it this way. But if like, if you want the real stuff, you need to talk to a guy who just scrapped it out like three, four or five years ago and talk to them about their experience and how they had setbacks and whatever else. I can barely even remember my setbacks. Yeah. You know, so you have to, you have to realize that at a certain point, you know, your point of view to this person is not terribly interesting or valid. I mean, um, which is why you need a team, you know, and I'm going to make sure that like the backgrounds of the people who end up on the board are, are, are within, I mean, there'll be mostly people of color, but I mean, that's a very diverse group of people. You might have people from, you know, inner city Chicago, and then you have me, and then you've got, you know, different, different sorts that can bring people of different ages. It'll bring a different perspective to how we're thinking about doing this thing. You know, on the distilling side, it's the uh, it's the Nathan Green scholarship, which will be the same thing. Mm-hmm. But what I need to do now and with everything else going on, you know, I haven't had that much time to, you know, to get into this work is to look for the analogs of the many programs that I'm already familiar with on the brewing side. So if I say ABG or the UC Davis courses or the Cornell courses or you know, the MBAA courses, like I know what the courses are that people hire brewers out of. Yeah. What I don't know is what are the courses that people hire distillers out of. Okay. And so, but that's not that hard to find out. I mean, you know, I work with people, we establish, you know, a a list and, you know, if somebody wants to attend a course that's off that list, then we will have to assess that course to see whether it meets our standards, which means that we'll have to have a set of standards. Um, even the courses that we already know about, we will have to reassess now um, during the pandemic times to see whether the course is still as valid as it used to be when it gained its reputation. Okay. Um, because there may be some things that were great, but now 
they're kind of phoning it in literally and, phys- and, and, and figuratively. And so, you know, there's a lot to build out. But on the other hand, um, it's actually as hard as I've been working like 12, 14 hours a day, every day, you know, it's, it's also very simple. There's not, there's not that much to it. It's not the fire festival or something where you're going to, you know, you're going to have <laughs> yeah, a thousand not. Yeah. Yes, and there's, tw- and there's 12 bands and whatever else. Yeah. It's like, there's going to be every year, there's going to be what a couple of dozen tops of people that you're going to send on a course, you know, which means a couple of dozen checks and a couple of dozen resumes and interviews and, and, and setups, but it's not like ridiculously huge. Yeah. The hard part, the really hard part is setup and governance. You know, how do you make it transparent, you know, fair, representative, et cetera, and set up a structure where when I leave it in five years, it will really just run, you know, and it's not, it's not taking up a hundred percent of anybody's time. Right. You know, because, you know, it's it is structurally simple. You're connecting people and, you know, you're giving them advice and you're helping them along financially. Um, and, and that'll be the plan for about a dozen or so scholarships per year. Yeah, I mean, I would say that within a year or two, we should get up to that. I okay. would be surprised if in the first slate, you know, we had more than, say, six to eight. Okay. You know, you want to concentrate, I would say, really carefully on, you know, your first slate of people who, you know, who go in and, and, and really give them extra resources to make sure they win. You're going to be learning things at the same time as they are. You know, what works, what doesn't work, what, what are the real supports they need versus what you thought they were going to need. You know, these things are, are you know, going to have, you know, changes and wobbles and whatever else. But, you know, none of them fatal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'll regardless, you'll put people through these courses and you have to have standards of performance. You know, what do you, if, if you're going to give somebody ten thousand dollars or even like three thousand dollars to go to a packaging course? What, you know, what do you require of them? And eventually we require that these people are willing to be, you know, mentor to at least one person coming up at some time behind them so i know i don't want to give somebody a scholarship and then later uh i say to them hey would you be the mentor to this guy coming in and they say no (laughs) like that's not the right spirit you know um the whole idea that like you're passing this thing on and you pass the baton back um i don't want to keep you too much longer so uh the Right now, you're thinking uh, two hundred thousand for the initial GoFundMe. That will be the the stated goal, you know, okay. of the opening GoFundMe campaign. Will be okay. two hundred thousand dollars. And is this going to be Frankly, one of those ones I, where it's... I, I hope to raise? I hope to raise a lot more. Sure. Um, you know, through which will be you know basically private. People can speak of it or not. I've already had breweries. I mean, you've probably seen other half as uh, you know publicly committed. Uh, a certain amount of money to it. And, you know, they'll be, I'll be sending emails to people, yeah. you know, at breweries saying like, you know, what do you, you know, can you do, can you, can you do something here? Um, and it, is this going to be one of those ones where it, it's an all or nothing uh, fund campaign or, you know, if 
you know, if, if it winds up that you raise one hundred ninety-five thousand, are, are you still? No, no. Gonna, I mean, go, yeah. you know, GoFundMe doesn't work. You know, in the Kickstarter model, where it's all or nothing. Okay, that's what I, that's what I was confused about. So I just wanted yeah, to yeah. make sure that 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 was the case. And then, no, no, it's not. It's not a thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, uh, you know, thing. I'm not really you know interested in that. Okay. Um, you know, and I think that uh, I forget. I was looking at it a couple of weeks ago, but the, you know, the term of everything is longer. You can keep your campaign open longer. It's not like you have 10 days or 30 days or something to hit your goal. So, you know, you'll see a lot from me and some others on social media uh, about it as it goes out. I mean, at first, really, it's going to be, it's going to have its own website. It's going to have the GoFundMe page. It's going to have my Instagram, you know, et cetera. But then it's going to have eventually its own Instagram, its own Twitter and, you know, its own Facebook page. And over time, you know, the, identity if you like of the foundation will divorce from mine Mm -hmm. you know not that i won't mention it or something but i mean it's got to have its own life if it's gonna you know be a sustainable thing um okay that works uh aside from the guys at other half have there been other folks that have sort of you think stepped up that uh oh a lot of people have stepped in saying like when the time comes like let me know they may not have given me a specific number there have been people who said, like, I want to do something like I'm a microbiologist for, you know, for this brewery. And, and it's like, I would love to have people come and, you know, give them training or whatever else, which may not even be specifically connected to our program. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I my feeling is that I want there to be offshoots. If you don't, you know, if you don't make this particular scholarship, um, but you are definitely somebody that... Uh, you know, has, you know, a great future in them, maybe we can do something on the side and put you together with like, okay, you didn't make it in this round. Why don't you reapply? Um, But uh, how about, you know, you go see so-and-so over here at this brewery because they would like to give you like a couple of weeks in the lab. Mm -hmm. Um, And so part of it is, is, you know, you have to have a sufficient outreach so that people know that like you're, you know, that you're doing this work. And then a lot of it is just, you know, connections. You're, 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 you're helping connect, you know, people who want to get somewhere with other people. And I do this all the time. I mean, like informally through Instagram or whatever else, somebody gets in touch out of the blue and says, Hey, I'm so-and-so from wherever, you know, I've been looking for a job, a brewing job in this place. Do you know anybody? And I'm like, sure, let me, you know, let me put you together with them. You know, you, you saw, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you saw like a couple of days ago, this kid that I know in Scotland, you know, uh, his shop is closing. He's been running, you know, beer shops for 10 years. And he just sent me his CV this morning and I sent it to our people and, uh, uh, you know, and retweeted it and whatever else. I mean, that's the, you know, that's, that's kind of like using, you know, (laughs) using the chair, so to speak. Oh, the the thing that I didn't finish saying, actually was I, I did go to Fresh Fest. And what right. I found at Fresh Fest was not like a segregated beer festival, but in fact, the most integrated beer festival by far that I had ever seen. It was maybe 70, 75% African-American, but there was also 30, 35% of everybody else. Yeah, There was never 35% of anybody else at the GABF or any other festival I'd ever been to. Right, And they were, you know, black, white, gay, straight, you know, trans, uh, uh, lots of women. Um, it was the, 
the happiest and most joyful beer festival I'd ever seen. By far, really. I mean, it was beautiful. People were crying all over the place. I mean, just just spontaneously because of the emotion of the day. And, you know, I realized, like, well, this is the way we see ourselves. And we're not like this most of the time. You know, and if everybody in the community showed up, um, we would actually all enjoy the thing we're doing a lot better than we're enjoying it now. Mm -hmm. And that includes everybody else. You know, whether you're a white or black or Latino or Asian, when everybody shows up, you're going to feel better, you know, in tap rooms and breweries that look like America. Right. You know, which they currently do not. It'd be nice. Yeah. To see more of that. I mean, especially when we all can start going to festivals again. But Yeah. And, and you know, you can't you can't start off with an idea. It's like, oh, here comes Gary. He's going to fix this. Like, Gary's not going to fix anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, Garrett's going to do his part. Okay. You know, and and which is the best that anyone can do. Sure. Well, um, I'm glad you're doing this, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me about it. Certainly. So. Um, well, definitely uh, appreciate the attention. That's Garrett Oliver of the Brooklyn Brewery and founder of the Michael Jackson Foundation for Brewing and Distilling. Check out the MJF.org to learn more and to donate. My thanks again to Wine Enthusiast Magazine for letting me air this audio from an interview I did on their behalf. Check out winemag.com for great content and to subscribe to the print magazine. Before we go, I'll remind you that the show is produced by Beer Edge. Check out beeredge.com and subscribe to the newsletter and also download the Beer Edge podcast hosted by Andy Crouch with new episodes every week. And also check out Steal This Beer and the BYO Nano podcast. And please don't forget to go onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you download and leave a review of this show. If you have questions or suggestions or guests you'd like to hear, you can email me at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or you can reach out on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Nate Schwarber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and my thanks to you for listening. I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back to drink beer and to think beer.